Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the podcast. This is episode 95 called Millie. Okay guys, so I cannot wait to share my conversation with Millie today. You guys know Millie Brooks as me, myself, and Millie. She is an actor. She is an advocate in this community. She hosts her own podcast called Me, Myself, and Millie. And she's just fucking awesome and real and cool. And I wanted to end my final podcast for the year on a light note. So this is not a super heavy conversation. There's a lot of laughs. There's a lot of fun. If you know Millie, you know that you can't talk to her without laughing your ass off. So that's what we did here. In full disclosure, I did this conversation with Millie before my computer crashed and I lost my episodes for like two months. So it is a little bit older, but it's still super relevant. She was about 10 weeks pregnant at the time when we talked and now she is much further along. She's due in March. So just know that going in, but it doesn't affect the conversation at all. So it's just a great conversation. She is a great human. Millie, I love you. Thank you for doing this. And without further ado, this is Millie's infertility story. have been so looking forward to this all week because I knew it was going to be a bright spot in my week. Oh my Um, gosh. Because we haven't really gotten to sit down and like get it all out. Like I know. Get into it. Get our hands dirty. I want to get into fucking it. (laughs) I know bits of your story. I don't know the whole thing. So this is going to be fun. Absolutely. I'm doing good. I am. Since quarantine, I've been getting into this little habit of like every morning I go on a little bike ride and get a little Starbucks or Pete's coffee treat. And it's like my one part of the day that I can just like treat myself, you know? Yourself, for sure. (laughs) You got to get out of the house, you know? It's the small things now that make a big that make you feel good. I just yeah. feel like a fish out of water without a routine. Like I'm no. still struggling to figure out a routine. Like yeah. what COVID routine right now? Right. So you tell know? me about, okay, I know you're an actor, but tell me about like, what's your day to day? Like, are you working? Are you like still acting? Am, or, like what's going on? I am totally unemployed right now. Okay. Like I'm not even sure. I've had a few auditions, a few commercial auditions since lockdown, but I am like stage theater is my bread and butter. That's what I do. That's what I love. And I honestly, I don't even think theaters are going to open back up for another, at least another year. Yeah. They're saying like 2021 for sure. But does that mean like a year from now in 2021, not like January, 2021? Yeah. You know, like I don't know. I don't know. How, like the tricky part about it is like people's comfort levels might shift. Cause mm-hmm. like, I know a lot of theaters right now are sending out surveys to all of their patrons. Like how comfortable would you feel coming back into, you know, an enclosed space with mm-hmm. other, you know, other patrons and stuff. And, you know, people are not that comfortable. They're just yeah. not comfortable breathing in, a black box along with like a hundred, 200 other strangers, you know, yeah. with no ventilation. So exactly. I know I was just, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. 
I was just listening to The Daily, that podcast, and they were saying like the statistic that it's 20 times more likely that you can get the virus like in a inside than as opposed to outside. Oh my gosh, that that makes sense. It yeah. Makes sense. So that makes but could you you could you do outdoor theater? We prop, you know, probably. And yeah. there are opportunities for that in California. We're really lucky with the weather. Yeah. You can get by with that stuff. Right. The one big outdoor two the two big outdoor Shakespeare theaters have canceled their whole seasons mm. this year. Mm-hmm. So it's really not so you know, tricky. It's so tricky. And then, you know, next year when I will be able to start working is when I'm, yeah, you know, going to have a baby. <laughs> right. Spoiler alert. So let's get into it. Tell me about, did you always want to have kids? Like, have you always wanted to be a mom? Yes. And I knew I always wanted to be a mom. I love kids. I think they're funny. I think they're cool. I think they're interesting. I always knew that that was going to be in my future. It was just kind of a matter of when. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I know some women like have this deep, like yearning, this, that motherhood will define them. And that is their, their peak, their life peak. That's not totally my story. I wanted to have a established career as an Mm -hmm. actor in the Bay Area. I wanted to have a few things in place before I started bringing a child into my world. Mm -hmm. I felt Uh, the same way. Like I always knew I was going to have kids, but I wasn't like being a mom is my goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like I, I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a child too. Like Mm -hmm. you are there everything. And like, yes, my child, like, trust me, I'm going to love this, this kid Mm -hmm. as, you know, to it's my heart's content, but it is like, I wanted to have a full whole life, you know, and I wanted to have a career and I wanted to make sure that my identity didn't just get sweeped up in having this child. Yeah, I agree with that. My husband and I, before we had kids, we were like, we're going to bring this child into our lives. Like, of course we will like give it the world, but it's like, we're not going to be those parents that are like, it's all about the baby. Cause those people are so fucking annoying. Like, <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And I, I, it, I just feel bad for the baby. Like, wow, that's a heavy load to carry. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. So tell me how you met your husband and then when did like having kids come into the conversation? Did you guys talk yeah. about it before you got married or like? What happened there? So my husband and I were both in the theater community in Mm -hmm. San Francisco. He's Brad Pitt, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's he's definitely at Brad Pitt level. Yeah. He's listening to that. I just love Brad Pitt so much. (laughs) I do. He's just like my guy. He's always been my guy. Who's your like celeb crush? I mean, Brad Pitt's up there. I, yeah. I also I had this weird thing for Chris O'Donnell for like the longest time. Oh my god! Wait, I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's super nice. No. Yes, we oh. had burgers together like a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's a good oh guy. He's a Chicago guy, which is where I'm from. So he's just like a oh, down home dude, you know. 
Yeah, like, I don't know. I just, like, felt really, like, into him for a while. So, yeah, my husband's amazing. We met in the theater community. I stayed in the theater community, but my husband sort of migrated into the advertising world, which is kind of where, you know, theater dreams go to die. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning he was working in, like, commercials or he was, like, behind the scenes? Yeah, like video production, okay, writing, producing, gotcha. directing. And it, it's such a it's such an easy pathway to that because it's storytelling. That's all advertising is is storytelling. Mm-hmm. We met 7 years ago, we got married 4 years ago, and we started trying to we started doing this thing called, "Oh, we're not not trying." Yeah. For a while, you know that that game, mm-hmm. where to me, that definition is we're not using protection anymore, but we are, we're not getting cuckoo crazy about tracking ovulation mm-hmm. and cycles. So we did that for a while. And then, like, you know, after maybe month three of doing that, I was like, mm, maybe I need to like put a little bit more effort into this. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't happening. And I really did think it would, which is such a, it's, you know, I won't go down this rabbit hole, but it's, you know, sex education in this country. Oh my God. Yes. People are, I was so misinformed. Same. This comes up like every other conversation I have on this podcast, it comes up. We need to do something about reforming what girls are learning now. Oh, I know. I know. And boys. Like, well, uh, yes. I don't mean just girls, but yeah. in particular young women, but also boys. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I was so, I, I had no idea. I really thought that you don't use protection, you'd get pregnant. Well, that's you know? what they teach you. It's like the scared, you know, shitless yeah. tactic. It's like, if you do this one time, you're going to get knocked up. Yeah. And it like, And then I was like at a loss as to why it wasn't happening so quickly, Mm -hmm. you know? So after about three months of like, you know, just sort of pulling the goalie, I decided to get like, oh, I, I, I went full, I went deep into the dark, natural methods of trying to conceive. Okay. So tell me about that. What, what does that mean exactly? I got like two different ovulation trackers on my phone. Okay. I got the Ava bracelet. Mm-hmm. I got, I started temping in the morning, which honestly I couldn't keep up for long periods of time. So I was, oh, I was picturing you like as a temp, like a secretary or something. Yeah. I'm like, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> no, taking my temperature. Right, right. Okay. And, and that was just so hard to keep on a consistent level. But I, I did that. I did. Oh God, I did bromelain supplements, which, uh-huh. you know, is the pineapple. Enzyme in, the en- enzyme yeah. in pineapple. Yep. I did that. I did. Oh my God. I was doing acupuncture. I did. I, I had so many supplements. I was doing legs up the wall mm-hmm. for like 30 minutes. I was doing um, different positions. I was doing like the, oh, what is it called? The soft cup method where like <laughs> you essentially <laughs> are trying to keep the sperm up there after yes. sex. It's so you know? sexy, isn't it? Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, 
it's really it's it's a beautiful part of the whole process. Yeah, I remember doing the legs up the wall too, and it was like for some reason I was like they couldn't just be up in the air. Like I had to turn around to like the headboard and like put them on the wall, and it was like this whole process that was like you have to do this just right at just the right angle, or it's going to drip out. And like it's so. Yes. I'm and sure the there's some validity to it to a certain degree, but yes. I just remember putting like so many fucking pillows underneath my butt. Yes. Yep. Is this the right pillow? Is this too high? You know? Right. And then setting my alarm like coochie cooch all the way out, you know, facing the wall. Yeah. No, it's, we all do it. It's like getting out the protractor to make sure you have the angle, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's it. That's it. So After about like, I'd say we're in, after doing that of, we're into like month 10 of trying this Mm -hmm. and we were, we were having so much sex. Like I was so sick of sex. Mm -hmm. I was like, I hate sex so much. Like we're just, it just like, it makes it into a chore. Mm -hmm. There's nothing sexy. There's nothing romantic about it. And like, oh my God, heaven forbid we got into an argument when I was ovulating. Oh yeah. Then that would just like, I would have like a mental breakdown, Mm -hmm. you know? So anyways, it was really difficult. At month 10, I was like, something's up, you know? And they always say, wait till 12 months before you start seeing somebody. Yeah. It's such an arbitrary number. It's kind of bullshit. so dumb. It's so dumb. And I was 30, 33 at the time, just mm-hmm. turned 34. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't know what's going to happen differently in the next two months to re- reach that 12 month mark that right. has ha- already happened in the past 10. Right. Like, please riddle me that. Yeah. So I went and saw my first fertility clinic. And they okay. said they would see me. So you saw um, before at the 10 month mark before you, the 12? Yes. Good for yeah. you. That's a good thing for people listening to know is like, you don't have to wait. You can get in there. Like it's your body, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you know, mm-hmm. like I was going sort of on the guidelines of like, if you're th- over 35, you try for six months and then you see somebody. If you're under 35, you, you know, try for 12 months and then you see somebody. And those are just like dumb guidelines, mm-hmm. <laughs> just dumb. So anyways, I saw my first fertility doctor and I learned a lot from him. It was a sort of a franchise clinic in San Francisco. And they had like, their offices were so swanky and they looked like <laughs> the George Jetsons. <laughs> you know, the cartoon, everything was like vinyl and glistening and like, right. you know, plants hanging from, you know, white fancy cylinders on the wall. And it, it just was like super posh. Yeah. They're like, and, you're not going through infertility. You're on yeah. like a Virgin Airlines like plane yeah. right now. <laughs> like, remember those exactly. planes with the purple lighting and like everything was yeah. red and white and like... Yes, that's what it felt like. It was like they were trying to make it seem not so depressing, you know? And um, I learned a lot, you know, like I got, I got a lot of tests done that I think 
I wish I had done, you know, I, I did my preconception appointments and I just don't know why, why they didn't do those tests, you know, mm-hmm. before we started trying, mm-hmm. you know, what and, were some of the tests? Oh, like testing my AMH, uh-huh. testing my thyroid. My, my husband finally got semen analysis uh-huh. and that was really revealing, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was really important for us to like see those numbers mm-hmm. and really eye opening. And the thing that I regret though, is like, Oh gosh, I just, um, my husband's sperm analysis, he did. So he got a semen analysis before we even saw a fertility clinic. Uh-huh. And I, I recommend that to everybody because it's so simple and easy and it can tell you 50% of the story. Right. You know? Exactly. Good advice. And yeah. it's easier for men to get a semen analysis than to like, it's just so less invasive. You right. Know? Exactly. And so I, my husband got a semen analysis and his numbers were like, okay. You know, they just sort of were like, yeah, you know. You have some sperm, not great motility, but you still could get your wife pregnant. Is she okay? Has she been checked out? You know, Mm -hmm. like kind of putting a lot of blame on me when my husband just did not have great numbers. And every male fertility doctor after our first clinic that we saw or we had a consult with sugarcoated my husband's semen analysis. And it wasn't until after two IUIs, you know, they do a, what, during the IUI process, they do a semen analysis, mm-hmm. of that, you know, so you can see numbers, what things look like. And um, after every procedure, they were like, well, you know, these aren't great numbers. You want, I, I think you want to get, have like at least 10 million sperm for a successful IUI. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were, I think we, he had 10 million sperm once. Okay. And so we were barely making that marker. Yeah. But all the doctors were like, you know, it's okay. This is, this is normal. I've seen people get pregnant with these numbers and blah, 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 blah. So we were like, oh, okay. And then I just like, I don't know. I just had in my feeling that this first fertility clinic, this, you know, this Jetsons place was not the place for me. I was like, I feel like I'm on a conveyor belt. They, they're not invested in our individual story. They're not like, they're just like doing a routine protocol with everybody. Was it weird that Astro, the dog was like behind the desk at the (laughs) (laughs) That should have been your tip off. (laughs) Yeah, that should have been. He was like, row, row. (laughs) They're not up to code. Right. Why do you think they were like kind of sugarcoating the sperm thing? Do you think that's like a guy thing? Like they didn't want to, they were like trying to protect his feelings or something? Or do you think? A hundred percent. Really? Oh yeah. I think that there's, I mean, I think they were trying to, I think one thing is like male to male, they want to protect each other's egos too. Mm. And they don't ever want it to be like, I don't know. I think it's like, 
it's like some deep rooted ego thing for men. It's you like know? the bro code of spy. yeah, the bro code. Right. Yes, like you don't. You got to put this really gently, you right. know, and and really layer the sugar. Right. You just got to sugarcoat it. They're like bros uh, before sperm woes. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. They have t-shirts that say that. Exactly. Yeah. Just and I felt like they were giving me. They were more skeptical about my situation when all of my stuff was coming back normal. Like all my AMH is high. You know, I have regular periods. No thyroid issues you know, hormones are level and balanced. And they were kind of telling us we had unexplained infertility Mm -hmm. for a while. So anyways, it wasn't until I switched doctors, which can be a game changer, I think. I think that like, people really end up finding success when they start feeling like their doctor is as excited about making a baby for them as they are. Yes. I think it's important to find somebody that wants to be like a partner with you. You know, it's not like doctor versus patient. It's like, let's do this together. Let's be a team. Right. And so it sounds like you found that at the next clinic. Yep. I found that at the next, next clinic. And I went and saw this clinic was um, run by Dr. Amy Ivazade, who was the egg whisperer. Oh yeah. We love her. Blair and I were just on her show. She's She's awesome. Awesome. And she is, what I love about her is she, I feel like she wants to empower women with this knowledge. She's Mm -hmm. not just like, let's get you pregnant. She's like, let's find answers to this. And she's a doctor who doesn't believe in unexplained infertility. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm game with this. Yeah. I said to her, I said, I want to be pregnant before I'm 35. That's just my goal. So how do we do that the fastest way? Mm -hmm. And so we did our first round of IVF in May, 2020. Mm -hmm. And we had a really successful retrieval. Mm -hmm. What does that mean exactly? And and how were, if you don't mind, like, let's unpack that a little bit. Like, how was it for you being on all the drugs and like going through the protocol. And like, I also would love to hear how this was affecting your relationship. Were there ever any times when it was like super hard with your husband, stuff like that? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a so, two-parter. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll, I'll answer, answer the first part. Okay. Um, and how it was successful was we, I, I was a cheap date as my doctor put it, I did not need a lot of drugs to stimulate my ovaries. I think I was just on Menopure for maybe four days. Mm -hmm. And the whole process of the injections was not difficult. And she kept lowering my dose because I was responding so well. Mm -hmm. I was considered a good responder, I guess. So wait, did she ever find, I know she said she doesn't like, you said she doesn't like unexplained infertility. Did she find an issue? I will get to that. Okay. After our, she, she, we had a conversation after the retrieval. Okay. Okay. Great. 
So I had the retrieval. It was very successful. I retrieved 34 eggs, Whoa. which was mild, which, you know, is a definition of mild hyper ovarian mm-hmm. syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. overstimulation. Mm-hmm. But she took such good care of me. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't eat. It felt like I was So before the retrieval, it felt like I was walking around with 34 water balloons in my abdomen. (laughs) That's comfortable. Yeah, so comfortable. And then afterwards, I just felt so free. I felt so, I was like, I did not have any pain. Like I managed my pain medication. I I stayed on top of it. I did not feel any pain. Mm, It was not traumatic Mm -hmm. for me at all. So we retrieved 34 eggs, 32 were mature, 24 fertilized. And of the 24 that was fertilized, um, nine of them made it to blast. Wow. So we sent nine of them to get tested for PGS testing, and seven of them came back normal. Whoa. So we have... We have our family figured out mm-hmm. at this point, and I won't have to do an, another egg retrieval, which I am very grateful for, and yep. I know is not always the case mm-hmm. for some people. Mm-hmm. So we got lucky in that regard. But after my, so after the egg retrieval, and this is something I didn't know about, after the egg retrieval, you have an embryologist report. You have, you know, which states, you know, gives you a comprehensive report of the eggs and the semen analysis. Uh And so my doctor sat me down and she was like, looking at the counts, the sperm counts that your husband gave us on the day of the egg retrieval, you definitely have male male factor infertility. Ah, okay. So that was her conclusion, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is really hard it's hard. And especially right now for COVID, it was like, he couldn't come to the appointments. So I was getting a diagnosis for my husband through my doctor. And right. I had to relay that to him. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did that go down? It was really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really hard. It's also just like, and to your second part of your question, like mm-hmm. how is affected our marriage, yeah. I think honestly brought us closer. Yeah. I think that he feels so, he knows what I'm doing for our family right now. And there's not a day that goes by that he's not grateful for it or that mm-hmm. he doesn't say he's grateful. Mm-hmm. And um, he was definitely like at every point of the process, like, at, like when I started the shots when I eventually had to do the transfer shots, he was right there. Yeah. He wanted to be involved, you know? He, yeah. didn't, he didn't ever take a back seat. That's awesome. Which I appreciate. So you've got these seven embryos, right? I got these seven colony of embryos. <laughs> I call them the children of the corn. You've got like a, is it a rugby team? What has seven players? <laughs> it's like, yes. A rugby team. Yeah, something like that. So, okay. So then what happened? So we finished up that cycle. And when you do PGS testing, you have to wait a while for the results 
So we couldn't do like a fresh transfer or anything. We, we definitely had to wait till my next cycle mm-hmm. to, do it, to do anything. And my doctor, before we even made plans for a transfer, she was like, well, let's wait on the PGS testing results before we plan how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we, if we didn't have seven embryos, she might have suggested like an ERA or an endometrial biopsy mm-hmm. just to like improve the chances of one sticking or two sticking. You know what I mean? Right. But because we had seven, she was like, yeah, let's just go for it. Let's do a transfer. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see if it works. And we did. And it worked. Oh my God. So happy for you. Oh, thank you. Well, but let's talk about, I mean, of course, celebration and all that stuff, but like, it's, it's still nerve wracking, right? I mean, not to be a downer, but after going through something like that and such a struggle, you know, I had that as well with my son. Tell me about how you feel. And and I'd love to hear too. Well, okay. We'll just leave it at that question. And then I have another one after that. Well, first of all, I feel like I'm breathing really heavy all the time. And (laughs) I'm just like, I can tell that my boobs have gotten bigger, Uh like all this progesterone that I had to pump. So I had to be on estrace. Yeah. So I had to take estrace so leading up to my transfer, I was taking estrace progesterone shots, PIO shots every evening. Yep. And mendrol, med- okay. medrol. I couldn't tell you what that did, but I only had to take it for like three nights or something. Okay. Oh, she also wanted me to do doxycycline, but that stuff makes, I, I'm really allergic to that stuff. So You are? Yes. Yes, which is, I guess it helps prevent infections. It's an antibiotic. Uh-huh. And she said I – so I, I was exempt from taking doxycycline. Okay, okay. So I didn't have okay. to take that, which is nice. Yeah. And so I did all of that. I had my transfer, and I had to continue that routine, the estrace and the PIO shots, until week – this week this – week, this week is when I'm stopping my PIO shots. Okay. So for 10 weeks, I've had to do PIO shots. PIO shits. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I will say this. I told my doctor, I was like, I don't think I can do these shots every single day for the next eight weeks. And so she put me on a combo of the suppositories and the shots. So mm-hmm. I would take a, from like three weeks after my transfer to this week. So I was taking, I was doing suppositories three times a day and then a shot every third day of the week. Mm-hmm. So I am, this is the last week. I just took my last astray spill okay. yesterday. Yeah. And my last PIO shot is tomorrow. Okay. So that's got to feel probably mixed, right? Like you feel good about having graduated from having to do that, but also is it a little nerve wracking? Cause you're like, it's been going well so far and you don't want to like 
rock the boat to a certain degree. Oh, a hundred percent. It's yeah. like the only piece of control you have to keep right. this pregnancy alive. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. even asking my doctor, I was like, are you sure? She's like, I'm sure. I'm yeah. like, are you really sure? She's yeah. like, I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see you saying all of these things. And that's one of the many reasons I love you. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> like, Valid though. Yeah, to like reassure me five times in a span of thirty seconds. Like I right. just, I I needed it in writing. I needed her, her to sign it in blood to yeah. make sure that it was gonna be okay for me yeah. to stop these drugs. Yeah. Because it, as much as I hated them, it did give me a sense of control totally. in the first part of my pregnancy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, what's your due date? March 11th. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. I know. So, okay. So not to look too far ahead, but you've got six other M babies, right? Yes. On ice. Yes. Okay. On ice. That's got to be a good feeling too. It feels, I, I, there's such a sense of peace Mm -hmm. knowing that because we definitely want to have another child mm-hmm. and I will be older. You I was going to say, did you make the 35 year cutoff? How old are you? I now? made the 35 year cutoff. I will okay. be 35 when I give birth to this baby. Okay. But when we're trying for number two, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to try to space these kids out as much as I can mm-hmm. for my own sanity, but I'm going to be. 37, 38, maybe, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and knowing that I'll be using my eggs from when I was 34 makes me so relieved. Absolutely. Science is so cool, Millie. I know, man. Look at what happened. Look at what you made. (laughs) You know, science embryologists, like, it's just like insane. It blows my mind. Me too. I just got the full body chills. (laughs) <laughs> I did. Cause it's still like, it's so funny. Like, I know you've heard me probably say this in our groups and stuff, but like, you know, my son's four and a half. So he, he's been here for a minute, but I still get so emotional when I think about, you know, like going through it and like what, yeah. and not knowing if it was going to happen or not. And like, oh. when I found out that it, that I was pregnant, you know, just all the feels like, I'm, they don't, I don't think they ever fully go away. Like, well, I no. think about, I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I think about myself in like the 1800s, you know, like with a bonnet on and mm-hmm. like in the front porch. Like how how would it have been it wouldn't have been possible. Yeah. Oh, I would have been dead cuz here's what happened to me. No, for real. So with my daughter who I had when I was 35, so she's almost 11. Cuz mm-hmm. I'm an old ass bee now. Oh, you you're young at heart. <laughs> I'm 16 at heart, so that's okay. So I had placenta previa, which is when your the placenta is blocking your cervix. It's just the way that it grows inside your body. So basically what you have to do is have a C-section and it's not that big of a deal. I wasn't like in pain and it didn't affect the pregnancy other than the fact that it was happening. But I remember one day, sorry, are you still there? Yes. I'm okay. Listening. It got really I'm, quiet. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I'm, did she hang up? <laughs> I am on the end of my You're seat. like, bye. I don't give a shit about your story. <laughs> this is about me. So I went to the doctor one day and she's like, okay, so we're going to have to schedule C-section. 
And I was like, she's like, cause there's literally nowhere for the baby to come out. You know, when you go into labor, the, the it's positioned in the way that there's nowhere the baby can come out. And I was like, okay. So I said, so what would happen in like olden times before C-section, you know, back in the day before C-sections were invented. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, both mother and baby would die. Oh, I was like, gosh. oh, snap. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. So, like, thank God if I was pregnant with my daughter wearing a bonnet in, like, the whatever, I don't even know what year, but yeah. before C-sections, pre-C-section, I would be dead. Yes. You know, oh it's, so it's like respect to medicine and science. And, so much respect. Like yeah. so many props. Like yeah. I salute medicine. Yeah. I salute you. <laughs> medicine, <laughs> we salute you. <laughs> oh my God. I love you, Millie. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Um, I want to talk to you like for another million hours. So we'll have to do this again. As oh, absolutely. Maybe post baby. We can do like me. a follow up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I love, listen, I'm an actor. I love hearing myself talk. So (laughs) you know where to find me. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Millie. Definitely check her out at me, myself and Millie on Instagram. And also, I want to let you know that since it's almost January 1st, Fertility Rally memberships are back open again from the 1st through the 7th. So if you or anybody you know is looking for more support, we've got 24-7 community, curated events, so many support groups. We actually just added a weekly pregnancy after infertility support group as well because we want to be there for people all along their journeys before, during, after the whole thing. So check out fertilityrally.com and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks.